Verse 19, I'm just going to read verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Just for the context, I think it's better for me to give you uh, some information for you to understand. Last Sunday, you know, Sunday routine for me is to go home and eat, take a shower, and go downstairs to edit my sermon and upload it. Usually that is about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, something like that. And after that, I just try to wind down to go to sleep soon. So last Sunday, I received a phone call from my dad from Korea saying, my sister in Boston is not picking up a phone and she was in a... um, Emotional distress. She has three children and her husband is on two week um, business trip around the world London, Italy, Japan, Korea to Boston. So that was about 9 p.m. So he asked me if I could help or do anything. But I knew I was too tired. So I decided to sleep and rise early next morning and go up. So I woke up at 3.30 a.m. Monday morning and I drove up, not really knowing what is happening. But by the grace of God, I found my sister and three children asleep when I went there. But it was clear to me that she was suffering from some kind of emotional distress. So that was Monday, and by Tuesday, uh, she was doing much better, much better. So this comes from that experience. And um, we, we as a Christian and as a person, we go through a lot. And depending on your upbringing, your personality and character, some people are very strong. They have endured so much. And mentality, that your mental capacity, emotional agility, they are strong. But some people are not like you. So, at a week to have some conversation with my sister, I left Korea when I was 17. 
So when I think about it, I just don't know. I just don't know my sister. They live in Boston, and they used to come once a year during Thanksgiving season. But past few years, they couldn't come because of COVID and things like that. So it was the, a week of, for me, you know, very, for me, emotional too. Weeping, crying together with my sister, reading God's word. But it has taught me a lot. So that's the background. And um, when I opened up my Bible, that highlighted section came to my mind. I've explained this many, many times. But for Paul in prison, this will turn out for my salvation. He's not merely talking about his deliverance from the imprisonment. He's talking about that eternal salvation that he has in Christ. That's his anchor. And he's looking at his situation. He wants to be delivered. But he's looking far beyond that. I want to get out of the prison. But this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers. The cause of salvation lies in God alone. In God the Trinity alone. In His grace, in His mercy, and in His love. So this does not mean prayer will cause someone's salvation in an absolute sense. But this verse, this means your salvation once and for all accomplished by Christ applied and secured in Christ and by the Holy Spirit Received by faith alone will need prayers and support from others and the need of the Holy Spirit to cross the finish line. We are not used to that kind of thinking because we think of salvation only in terms of faith alone, grace alone. So I believe I repented, I believe, so I am saved. But what I am talking about, and what this verse is talking about is post-justification. Until you die and go to heaven, or Christ returns, whichever is first, you need prayers of other saints for you to complete that journey. So that's why he says, this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers. Not my salvation through my prayers, but my salvation through your prayers and through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. These two, your prayers and the Spirit of Jesus Christ, these are the two items that Paul in prison, he is leaning upon during his time of imprisonment. 
Monday morning when I was in Boston, my sister, she was able to text her friend to come and take a couple of children, her children, to take them to a play date. Their school started on Wednesday, so they had some time. So just to relieve me from all of the, you know, duties that I had to perform. And that lady was a total stranger to me. A lady. Uh, later, she, my, my sister tells me she is a lawyer. She realized that my sister was not, not well. So she came to us, to the, to, the, to the house, and she was picking up two of the children, out of three. And I was just thanking her. I was just thanking her. You know, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for doing this. And later on, she sent me the text Basically saying, if you need anything, just message me. Well, I'm not going to, you know, text her saying, I need this, I need that, I need this. But she said that, and in that conversation, she basically said these words. Lean on us as much as you want. That was very comforting to me. Lean on us if you need me to take the children to school I will do it I will bring food I will do these things for you just let me know so I, I really like those words lean on me lean upon me Paul is saying that my salvation this will turn out for my salvation and I'm leaning upon your prayer I am leaning upon not my strength, not my knowledge. Think about it again. Paul does not need any extra theology. But these two items, your prayer is not his prayer, but I am leaning upon you. I am leaning upon the Holy Spirit. Without those two, I cannot finish. I need help. That's what he's saying. Through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Simply put, you and I need each other for our own salvation. You play a crucial role in someone else's, that somebody as the Christian's salvation. Not causing it, not adding works, somehow works righteousness. We know better. We are not talking about that. But God created the church. You have to believe. But you walk out that salvation in a church. That's how God designed it. But we are not comfortable with that idea. Leaning upon someone. Why? Because we are taught to be self-sufficient. So leaning upon someone means weakness. And you don't want to show your weakness. 
I could take care of myself. Salvation is, in that sense, all a fide. In that sense, is individualistic. But let us not forget the important role of the church. And here, through your prayers, and I don't think Paul is saying, "I just need your prayers only." No, in that prayer. He is talking about all the physical, spiritual, financial, whatever, whatever practical help that they could give through your prayers. Why? Because in the next chapter, you will hear about someone they sent to him, Epaphroditus, your messenger and the minister to my need. So Philippians sent more than prayers. They sent money. They sent people to carry things for them and to be be an assistant to this old minister. So prayer here is more than simply prayer. I want to talk to you now on the three headings. Some of the Things that I've meditated upon through your prayers. Let's leave that spirit of Jesus Christ section out through your prayers. That kind of prayer presupposes, requires, and implies these following items. First thing that I want to say to you is this: compassion. I was reading in Boston, First Peter, and First Peter one three says this: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." Who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again? That word "mercy" caught my attention. Yes, it is through love of God, but also through mercy of God, we have received salvation. What's the difference between mercy and love? It's kind of same, but it is not. So I looked up Voss. What is God's compassion or mercy? Answer: God's love and pity toward sinners who are considered as wretched. The mercy of God flows from free. Antecedent love. So it is this. Mercy is love made touchable to the unworthy people. If the sun is love, the sunshine is mercy. Something that you could feel. God's love is within. But when God shows His love 
That's mercy. Usually, we do not show mercy from bottom up. You cry out to the king, mercy. So he shows mercy. That's what God did for us. If you're a Christian, you are a recipient of God's mercy. Undeserving, yet God showed you mercy. Remember that. It's love acting toward unworthy. But in between us, it's better to use the word compassion. Kind of same concept, but we don't say, I will show you mercy if I deliver you a meal. But compassion, let's use the word compassion. To pray for someone, what you need is compassion. Or it will be simply, really a lip service. Right? So for you to pray, for me to pray, what you need is compassion. What's the opposite of compassion? Antonym. It would be indifference. What causes people to be indifferent? I think there are many causes. Self-centeredness. You're only concerned about your own desire, need, or interest. Self-centeredness. That's the force that is working against us. So you, because you are by nature sinner, though redeemed, we are not by nature merciful or compassionate. We are self-centered. But we are reforming it by the grace of God being sanctified. Another cause would be you are too busy. If you are running two, you know, working two to three jobs, you simply do not have time, money, energy, or emotional energy to help anybody. So in that case, you are indifferent because you cannot but. You just don't have any reserve of your mental Strength or anything. You're just, you just cannot even survive your life and you cannot help anybody. To pray, you need compassion. But there are already forces that are working against you. But our calling is to be compassionate to other people, especially within the household of God. Only way that we could be like that, I understand some people are more compassionate. But we need to reflect God's mercy, like sun, moon, reflecting His compassion, to show compassion to other people. So that's something that we need to think about. But also our say this to my brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and be merciful 
in your places. Problem with the world is that there are so many people who are not compassionate. Give you an example. But a few hours before, she couldn't, you know, breathe. It was more like a panic attack. So they went to the emergency. So she couldn't think, she couldn't process things, she couldn't speak, she couldn't breathe. And you go to emergency room, what do you do? What, what, do, they, what do people do? First of all, she says, there was nobody. Um, hospitals are being emptied out because of past few years of overworking the staffs. So there, first of all, there was nobody, but there was a doctor. And if you've ever been to emergency room, unless you're bleeding and dying, they, they don't care. I'm sorry to say, it comes from my own experiences. Unless you are dying, there are priorities. So she is basically, she feels like she's drowning and dying. And the doctor says, you need to exercise. That made her just flip. Later on, she's telling me, the doctor just wanted to go home Sunday night. She's not dying. And she couldn't walk downstairs. Is there, is there some kind of medicine? I said, oh, there's a pharmacy. You could take it in the first floor. So that's kind of thing that I'm talking about. Without going too much into detail, she works at Harvard University. She only has a master's degree, but she's been working in the field for a long time. She was not born here, so her English is not perfect like mine. She's short, small. According to her, she used to work at Loyola Marymount in L.A., Tufts University, Tufts Hospital, Harvard University. Her husband is working for MIT. According to her, people who made it at the top level in those institutions, highly successful people, people that, that she deals with, they got there because they know how to survive and beat other competitions. So they lack empathy. They only know their field. And in between departments, they don't know what the other people are doing because it is so specialized, so narrow a field that a person knows. And because they're so successful, they treat any other people who are under them like dirt. So there's no good communications. The people who are under those people, they are suffering. 
And all I could figure out is that she suffered immensely by those people. They lack compassion. Not even Christian quality compassion, but compassion that should exist in human relationships. Disdain. Workplace abuse is subtle. Not physical, sexual, but verbal expressions that you cannot quantify. There's no evidence but you are exposed to it for about 20 years. People come and steal your ideas and take all the credit and all of that I am sure that you are familiar with. So it's not easy for a Christian to survive in this wicked and fallen world. So, I am saying, in order for you to pray, you need to have compassion, compassionate heart. As I've been reading from all different passages, our God is like that. To receive this salvation is to receive His mercy to the undeserving. In your relationship, probably there are people that do not deserve your kindness, your mercy, your compassion. But show that to those people. Why? Because it's a right thing to do. As a person who receives so much from God. Second, we need to know ourselves. That's the second part. Compassion. Okay, second part. What is it? To help and pray for other people, you need to know yourself first. Know your maturity level. It's good that you are compassionate, let's say. You are moved and you want to help and pray. But think about your maturity level. That is, if you are compassionate, when you are compassionate, you do not judge. As soon as you judge, your patience is gone. Without patience, what do you do? You try to correct, rebuke, and lecture. And we who have moral standards formed by the Word of God, we have the standard, very high standard. So we need to be careful when you approach with compassionate heart and you go into a certain situation that we should be careful not to judge, not to lecture, not to rebuke. Because from your standpoint, it is easy to Correct that person.
Why didn't you do that? You should have done that. I could have said, I, should, I, I probably have said to my, to my sister, probably 10 years ago, you should have quit. At Tufts University, because she doesn't have PhD, her bosses, they have that, they, but they do not have experience. But she's been there for a long time, experience. So top advisors, they do not know how to work. So they had to come and ask for help from my sister. So they abuse her in that fashion. And because she is competent, as far as I could tell, they try to now squeeze her out. And one time, I don't, I don't know, but she, they basically took a desk out and asked her to work in the kitchen. We're talking about Tufts University, one of the top universities in this nation. So what do you say? If you or me, what would you say to my sister? I didn't know. I knew she was suffering about 10 years ago. I told her, you should have quit. You should have moved to another job. To which she, in tears, she replied, it's easy for you to say. Because at the time, her husband didn't have a job. So she was the breadwinner. And she couldn't quit. Because without her working, there's no food. So, I thought, man, I acted just like Job's friends. So easy. Quit. Move. Relocate. Find another job. Adding suffering unto her. Where is our church during this time? I asked. They live about 20 minutes away from the city to the west. And the church is kind of far away, and they have three little children. Well, not now little, but 11, 9, 7. So when you have young little children, you go to church. If there's a child care, then that's okay. But if not, you cannot worship. So many people do not go to church. What's the point? I go to church. I can't even go into worship. So they don't go. I don't know. I, I think they've been going, but I don't know how faithfully. So I talked about, not in a bad way, but I just asked, do you have any church people? Uh, no, she said, because when she went to that church, that church is full of very successful people. Harvard Medical School professors, doctors, dentists, PhDs is like somebody's candy. They're, they're eating up. PhD. Everybody is like that. So, not only you don't fit in, but they just don't, well, I'm talking about maturity level, 
the body of Christ are not mature, what happens is that they form their own cliques, hang out. So, if everybody's wearing Prada and Gucci, and you just, you just cannot fit in. It's easy for me to say, don't care about those. But those feelings are real. So, so just, just distance and all of that just didn't work. I'm not blaming in all of that, that the, to, the, to the people. But I, what I am saying is, to provide help, there are people who are compassionate. But who does not know, people who do not know how to control their tongue. So they go and they say all kinds of stuff and it just becomes worse. So your maturity level, let us be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to judge. For that person, we assume that person doesn't know, but they know. By and large, they know. It's easy for us to see what the problem is. But if you are not careful, if you are not mature enough, then with the untamed tongue, you are burning everything down. So our church too, We have to examine ourselves. That's know your maturity, know yourself. Second thing would be, know your current situation. As we say, first of all, you need to take care of yourself, right? Before you can help anybody. I was thankful that I have recovered past five years by the grace of God and by the kind people here that I was in a good position to help my sister because I, I've been through. I taught her how to breathe, how to sleep, how to think, what to see, what to hear, what to do, all of that. But we have limited resources. Prayer and help will require your limited resources, your time, your money, and your talent. So first of all, before you help anybody, you need to see who you are, your season of your life, how much resources can you spare. But, let me just talk about time. I had a whole week to think about this. Do you have time? Extra time? If there's an emergency, do you have extra time to take someone to hospital, to to cook some meals for them, deliver them, pick up kids, things like that? Do you have that kind of extra time? Probably you would say, no, we all have up till here. And it got me thinking... There's no one who says, I have free time. But I thought to myself, right. Then, 
we need to examine our value. And value, priority. With your priority, then you have to be selective and say no to certain things, and you have to sacrifice. So value, priority, and sacrifice. That's the only way you are going to make some spare time, money, treasure, talent, whatever. So this is rewiring of your entire lifestyle if we truly want to obey. Value, priority, and sacrifice. That's the only way you are going to squeeze out some time for someone who is suffering. If you don't do that, you will never have time. Never ever. And because you do not have time, you are more likely have less compassion at heart and you will not live out this verse. Third thing is this, what I've been saying. Know your limit, right? That's, I don't have to repeat it. But know yourself, your maturity level, your lifestyle, your resources, and know your limit. This is kind of off topic. But, you know, not everybody knows this. My sister, too. She should have said no, right? Many, many times over. Appealing to the high authority, if somebody's abusing her like that, she converted 60 Harvard courses by herself from offline to online. Usually she says, a American worker will convert one class offline to online Harvard level courses. It takes three months. She did too much. Was that an extra, extra pay? Overtime pay? No. They went, they went to Hawaii a couple of weeks ago. For two weeks, she stayed up all night doing that. So she should have known her own limit. The final topic is this. We need to know our neighbors. Your family, friends, church friends, church family. We need to know them. Two weeks ago, my uncle passed away in Korea, my mother's side. And that triggered my uh, sister's um, breakdown. And my parents were saying, and even I was saying, why? I mean, we are sad that uncle passed But how can that cause that kind of, it has detrimental effect upon my sister? We we couldn't figure it out. I think only way you could know someone is by having conversation. You could play golf together. You could watch a movie together. But you never know that person. You need to sit down and talk. But how many of you can do that? Are you good at that? I'm not good at that. Men in general, they are not good at that. We don't want to show our weakness. We, want, we don't want to be vulnerable. For me, especially when I came, when I was 17, 
I've mentioned this once. I'm not going to talk to my mom who's in Korea. She cannot do anything to help me sitting in Bryan, Texas. I'm not going to talk about my issues over the phone. Because they will worry. They will, they will just, just have a hard time. So I will never ever share anything. That's been like that. I don't usually share headaches, heartaches at home. I don't want my wife to carry the burden. I don't want... I'm sure you feel what I am saying. But when I had a conversation with my sister, she got better by the Tuesday. Not, not 100% at all. Not even. She's fragile, but she is doing much better by... But she was doing much better on Tuesday. Sleeping all day. So, I heard about her relationship with the uncle, my uncle. That I didn't know. When you were a teen, did you talk to your siblings? I left home seven, when I was 17. I never really had any talk, conversation with my sister. Sister's there. I go to school, I do my thing. I say hi. If not, well, you, if I say hi, that's a good day. So basically, we, 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 we concluded that we don't know each other. She comes once a year from Boston and stays here for three days. I usually go downstairs and read. So I, I just don't know her. But you need to know yourself, what you are made up of, your constitution. You need to know yourself. And you need to know someone. I will start with your family. You know, that, that will go a long way. To pray for someone, truly concerned about someone's welfare, spiritual, material, physical, other world, everything else, you need to know that person. Wouldn't you say? And I'm telling you, it takes courage and God to sit down, to initiate, when? Why? Why not? Because we, we are busy. We have an excuse. I am so busy and tired. Who have time to sit down and talk about issues? But if you love that person, you should and you win. And I've decided that I should know my children better too. I think I know them, but they will tell me, you don't know me. I could guess. And probably they are scared right now. Oh, my father wants to know me. I'm scared of what she's going to do. Final few words is this. You need to be open to relationships. You cannot say in a church there are not enough people who are trying to be my friends. Why don't you? If we do something, let's say ladies' tea time or men's something, if that comes up, you need to come. You cannot tell me 
there are men in the church didn't pay enough attention to me or that person that he doesn't have any friend in the church. You cannot blame everything upon the rest of other people, rest of us. There were plenty of times that, that we organized and we set up, but you never showed up. So then, half is your fault. So this, what we are talking about, I think all of us, we feel it. We know it. We know we should. And oftentimes, the sad thing is, until our health breaks down, we don't pay attention what we eat, how we exercise, until we have some kind of breakdown. And by the time you have a breakdown, what happens? There's no 100% recovery. We do not have to wait until someone, God forbid, in this church, having some kind of, that kind of crash. It's better to prevent it. It's better to have working relationships with other people in the church. And you need to give yourself to other people. That I cannot help. I can announce it here. Let's say, let's say, let's let's do apple picking or let's do men's group or something like that. You need to come. You need to give up. You need to sacrifice your time, make your time and come. That's that's the only way. Last thing is you need to ask for help. We feel bad. Don't be shy. You need to talk and you need to ask. I know it's very hard to do that. But if you have someone that you know, it'll be easier. Start from there. I want our church to be in this way. To protect that someone's identity, I'm not going to talk about the uh, last name, but Anna. <laughs> Long time ago, her car broke down. So she told me she had to push the car to that car shop. So that made me think with children she had to do that and I was not available my sister in Massachusetts she got lucky there's no luck she was blessed this time that I was able to go what about some of people in the church who do not have families nearby. Someone like Ruth or something like that, who's far away from home, alone. In emergency, there's nobody to call. I think if there is an emergency, we should be able to call up someone and ask for help. If you need someone to babysit your children so Anna could push your car alone to the car shop. That, I think, that practical and tangible help 
is needed in the church. I feel ideas, but it's not for me to talk about at this time. But you play a crucial role in someone's salvation for that person to finish the race, to help that person in whatever way you can. And you, we, we should be, say, be able to say, brother, sister, lean on me. Lean on me. It's okay. Don't feel bad. I'm thankful that I can help you in this time, in this way. That, that, that's, that's the way it should be. So let's work toward that. Let's be that kind of church. Let's pray.